Hello and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, poet and playwright, Mark Antony Rossi. In this, our second year, we continue to explore the meaning of being an artist in an ever-changing digital world. Now, without further ado, here is your host. Hi, folks, and welcome back to Strength to Be Human. I'm your host, Mark Anthony Rossi, poet and playwright. We're now on to episode 170. I know it's amazing, 170. And we're going to go into the third year in, in a couple weeks. So we're progressing along nicely. Now, this is going to be another one of those uh, uh, series I did. This will be in three different pieces. Okay. It's called uh, Germinal Joust. And this one is going to be, uh, this segment is going to be uh, Writing as Priority. Now, what I mean, a germinal joust is, is, is pretty simple in, in, in my uh, opinion. Germinal is just a word that means about the beginnings, you know, the germ, the very root of things. And, of course, joust is the, the different ways that people might uh, play around with that or, or, or even uh, tackle it, you know, in the writing world. We all have a different uh, genre or a different angle, a, a different... I guess you can say slant to what we're trying to do, and that's really part of the the joust, like like a joust of, of of old battle where you know people would uh, you know fight against each other's with long sticks and horses, and you had different ways you can combat that. But in the end, this is how I feel uh, writing is is broken down for for uh, for the artistic people. Okay, now we're gonna do this in three different segments. Um, three different shows all right priority is the first one we're going to do today and it's really the 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 one that that fits the most people in it uh, of the other three categories because the passion um segment of this is really about the the uh, the artists or, or the writers that did one or two singular projects that they're known for and that's pretty much it for them they didn't do too much more than that they had the enormous amount of passion to do that and that was it they didn't want to do anything more than that and then, of course, the pledge one is more of the the social or the political type writers that, that were doing this because they were trying to get some monumental cause out there for people to know about. Uh, Alexander Stinson is definitely one of them, and we'll talk about him on that show. Now, writing as priority on this show here. Like I said before, it captures the most amount of people. All right? Now, and I mentioned this on, on the past shows, and it doesn't really uh, hurt to mention it again. You know, I've always felt that in the very end of all writing, they only have two types of writers that come out that, out that are out there doing work. And those are the people that are called upon to do writing. And I don't mean to sound super, you know, super natural over here about it. But in the end, that's what it is. Something that you're just called to do. And those people, they tend to have uh, the most natural of talent. So it's it's... I think Ashbury is probably one of those examples of people that no matter how much academic training you thought he had or later on when he became a professor of literature, he had a natural talent for all this because before all that, he wasn't anything, you know, but he just was able to do it. And you have a few, um, I think Agar Allan Poe is definitely one of them as well. Of course, these people are considered to be uh, 
you know, not only brilliant, but geniuses in their particular craft, and that's fine. I don't know if you need to be a genius in order to have an enormous amount of uh, natural talent to be called upon, but God knows it, it helps, <laughs> and it seems to create that. So I, I guess I'm not too surprised by that. So you got those that are called upon. And remember, it's not just writing, too. I mean, if you know anything about the educational system as a student, you can tell and you knew the teachers that were called to teach versus the ones that were just doing it to get a paycheck and they couldn't get home, couldn't wait to get home and get the hell out of there. There's there's, there's few and far between. And unfortunately, you know, in, in, in the year 2000 and beyond, I mean, it, it's become such a career that I, I haven't really come across too many teachers that are, that are called about it. I could tell you from my two kids' experiences, I probably met one teacher out of all of them that I felt that was called to do this. All the rest of them, whatever. That's that's how it's become, unfortunately. Then you have the second category, and that's the category of the people that they have adopted writing. They found interest in it, and they wind up either taking some uh, creative writing courses, doing some of their own practice work and their own demonstration want to do it. And, and by continuing to do all of this, by continuing to explore this, either in a more formal fashion to a class or maybe informally through themselves just trying to discover what's going on, they developed a talent and they wind up adapting that to who they are as a personality and they wind up finding their talent and, you know, finding their voice. Remember, when you're called upon to do this, you, you know that you already have a voice. You find it real quickly because it's right there. Others that have to... Uh, uh, adopt and and adapt uh, they're they're trying to find that and a lot of times if they continue on the path they will find it it's pretty it's pretty common and really those are the two uh, forms of people that that write on a consistent basis now don't get me wrong you got a lot of people that write on a commercial basis as an article writer uh, or, or possibly uh, uh, you know how-to article person or you got people that do it as, as yeah, and they do they do that strictly for money. You got people that just do it as a hobby. I, I don't really look at those folks the same way because this is not the same kind of creative passion that we're talking about when we're talking about the creative literary arts. You know, I'm not saying anybody who writes an article is not a literary person is not a writer. They're just not in this kind of creative set to go here. That we're not when when we're creative writers. We're not doing it particularly for money, and we're certainly not doing it under some uh, illusionary uh, deadline. You know, I don't even think you can get creative people to to observe a deadline. <laughs> you know, I want I want an incredible uh, 87 line poem uh, done in two weeks. You know, right, whatever. We don't really observe that because we have a, a different uh, uh, style of going about things and we have a different focus and maybe even a different goal. We're trying to get across different literary things. And some of them are, are, are deeply personal to untwine or rather to intertwine our own personal story or maybe even our own personal thoughts or feelings into something that becomes a literary piece of art. That's not the same thing as an article or somebody doing something on a on a hobbyist kind of a basis, writing about frogs and forests and trees and, you know, the sky is blue and stuff. Nothing wrong with any of that, but that's not really going to carry you too far in the end. You can't really write five poetry books and be taken seriously and all it's about is... Blue skies and frogs. That's, there's a point where people are like, okay, does he know anything else? Do they care about anything else? And that's why there's a big difference between a hobby kind of writing and somebody being creative. Now, 
it's important to denote is this, okay? Once you have established, I want to write, whether it is through the calling or whether it is something that you have, uh, you know, adopted and adapted, um, you now you now have to realize that you now have to create in that writing that that sense of priority, okay? And and I, I wrote a little something down. It, it sounds a little humorous, but you you know, especially if you're a writer or you're trying to be a writer at the moment, that this could not be any more true and any more serious, okay? Those who hear the call, and I mean that metaphorically, the call is you know, anything, even if you uh, you know, even if you adopt it. Uh, but those who hear the call, but need an appointment. Now I know that sounds humorous, but it's the truth. Because remember, writing as priority means that it's a priority, but it doesn't mean it's the only priority in your life. It's something you need to be able to fit into everything else you're doing. Because like everybody else, um, you have a full-time job. And you might actually have a relationship, whether it's dating or anything else. Uh, you definitely have other things to do in your life. You might even have children and you have possibly sporting events you got to go to or school functions or or church outings or you know whatever so all of those things you might deem to be you know to a certain degree important in your life and and yes they are but so is writing and here is where incredibly enough it separates those that want to make writing a priority and those that don't because guess what it doesn't matter in the end, okay, in my opinion. Uh, if you heard the call and you, you are somebody that already has a lot of natural talent, okay, and you have a voice and you have opinions and ideas and blah, blah, blah. And it doesn't matter if you discovered through adopting this, this is what you want to do. None of that matters in the end if you're not making priority, writing a priority. Meaning that it has to be part of your schedule. It's something you have to do on a regular basis. Uh, I don't mean like once a month. I mean on a regular basis, a couple times a week. Something that is regular is, is a priority. Because if you can't do that, you can't really be a writer. You can't really do anything that's going to help develop your craft. Because writing takes time. It takes time to come across with something that you think is interesting and important to put on. It takes time to rewrite it a couple of times to kind of, you know, get to where it wanted to go to. It takes time to go discover in the marketplace where it might be able to go. It takes time to go send it out, you know, and then you got other things to do until that happens. And it takes time for people to get back to you. This is all, all a time-consuming craft. Okay, and there's different segments that you need to, to keep in mind. One of the first and, and foremost is trying to discover in your schedule where you're going to have some time management to be able to put this in there. I know I, when I'm making a, a, that slight joke before about, you know, but need an appointment. That's really what a lot of times that's what it's all about and observing all of that. This is my time for writing. Let me do what I got to do. Uh, I mentioned this before in other shows, and it, it definitely bears to mention over here. Uh, notes, they're critical. but They're critical because oftentimes you could be taking notes about important ideas you have about writing uh, or, or, or the notions behind it or maybe keywords or phrases or possibly a cool title, you think. You could be taking those notes 
when you're not in the appointed time to write. It could be in the middle of a job you're doing something. Oh, i got to write this down. could be at lunch. Oh, i got to write this down. You know? You take a break from working out in the gym. Oh, i got to jot that down. There you go. Whether pen and pencil or on a, on a phone or a dictation or whatever. So note-taking is extremely important because it's one of the few things you could do about writing that's still important and critical, but you can actually do it outside of your appointed time of writing. So that makes it really useful because in many ways, when you're putting down notes, in many ways you are building a foundation for something later on that you could use for writing. And notes are really critical for that. Mainly because there's nothing worse than saying, I want to be a writer, okay? Uh, I put some time aside each time for the week, okay? And then you sit there and you got nothing. You got a blank screen, a blank piece of paper, a blank brain. What the hell? Notes would help spur some things going on in your head from what you might have been thinking about before. It can engage in things. It can help bring things out of your memory you didn't know you had there for a while. Now they're coming out. That's why notes are so important. They let you start not at zero at least, okay? <laughs> to me, it's nothing worse than starting at a blank page. I'd rather have some notes of something, even if they're the dumbest notes in the world. Even if your notes are like, um, I don't know if Baby Yoda is evil or not, but it'd be interesting to explore that concept. What the hell does that have to do with writing? Probably nothing, but <laughs> at least it gives you a thought frame of something. Mm, exploration of good and evil. This, that, whatever. Intentions. Blah, 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 blah. Something. Because guess what? Something is better than nothing every time. It's, I find, especially when you're in the beginning stages of all this writing, to start someplace at a zero is not always the best thing. I, I, I think it brings too much pressure. I, I, I think it oftentimes could could foment its own writer's block just from the, uh, uh, the false expectations that you're supposed to be a genius automatically. No, get some notes down there, folks. Start developing that as a practice. You'll, you'll find it enormously important in the beginning of a writer. And I'm, hey, 37 years later, I'm still doing it because it's just that important. So try to keep that in mind, okay? So remember, if you want to be a writer and making it a priority is critical. And of course, making it a priority means you have to have it in your uh, appointment, uh, in your schedule as an appointment. It doesn't have to be a regular time or an exact day or whatever you know it has to always be thursday at eight o'clock at night i mean no just whatever the hell you see in your schedule you think it's a good time for it and if you can see that's regularly going to be open well then throw it in there that's all you gotta do all right next thing is finding your own ritual to writing okay uh this means that some people will just simply use a pad and a pen and that's their beginning writing of stuff. And then later on, they might translate that into the word processor. And then kind of go from there. Maybe do some rewriting to create a first draft and go save it and do something else. That's fine. Maybe that's your ritual. Somebody else's ritual could just simply be, they got a little room for a little while, maybe an hour or something like that. And they're going to sit there with their notes on a phone that has a full charge and write some notes in there. Or maybe even try to you know do some writing on that. And then later on, maybe send it to yourself by email and then, you know, go create it into Word or Docs or whatever the heck you're using. That's another ritual right there. You know, I know somebody that they don't feel they could write their best unless they put their lucky hat on. 
I mean, that's great, but unless you're carrying a lucky hat with you all the time, so why don't you get some time in, the, in, 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 in some work project you're doing or out there doing something out there, and then you decide it's a good time to write. You might not have your lucky hat with you, so I'm not sure about that particular ritual, but I know people that actually do that. You know, on their favorite phone, their favorite computer, they're using their favorite pen, their favorite pad, endlessly stuff. I mean, I know somebody that... They have a book with them on a regular basis with a, a bookmark in it. And then inside the bookmark is a piece of paper. They write a bunch of stuff down. It's like a lucky way for them to channel things. Great. But that's what well, ritual is all about. Trying to find something that you like to use that will help in the aid of your writing. Because it presents you with a certain comfort. Certain security blanket. Okay. Certain, I don't know, um, just pleasing environment it could just be a, a, a your favorite room to write in or something i mean eventually as you get better at writing you'll you'll learn to do it anywhere as long as you got some some time to yourself and you know you you got a, a some kind of focus in your brain about something but until then these things help you notes and rituals and places and stuff like that they help because whatever especially when you're trying to get used to becoming more productive you know with time uh whatever you, you're relying on that helps things make things less stressful and more more relaxing to you and more pleasing and, and more inviting well then there's nothing wrong with that that's helpful some people do this to you know and, and never give it up they have certain things they they, they do the matter they've been writing 10 20 30 40 years it's not unusual others use that in the beginning and then they wind up straying away from it because they become uh more um comfortable and more confident in their abilities and then they can just do it without any of that so i'm not saying it's a lifetime thing i am saying that it could be useful it might not even be something you want to do or you found any useful in it i know writers that don't use it at all but i know that it can be helpful in the beginning i actually did a whole show on it so i think it even did a, a, a an article on it at one time yeah so it's something to really keep in mind because it would definitely help you, I, I feel. Um, anything in the beginning uh, that aids in um, your confidence and aids in your faith is real important, okay? Now, I know it sounds unusual, but <laughs> there is a certain measure of faith that you need in writing. Because remember, writing is a gigantic gamble. Gamble is if doing it right. Gambling, if this is going to be your best use of time. Uh, gambling if someone even cares about what you wrote. Gambling if you want to keep doing it after being rejected 25 times this month or something. Hey, it happens. So you do have to have a certain measure of faith. I've found that those that have a calling for it or a natural gift of it, and this is a twisted irony, they wind up having less faith and oftentimes fall away from this more than the people who have adopted and adapted for it. I think mainly because when you have to work harder on something you're not naturally talented on, once you get someplace with it, you don't want to give it up. You've, you've put too much into it. You've invested so much into it. It becomes a real part of you. It almost becomes a stickling point about, hell, I'm not going to give this up. I've done so much, this, that, whatever. No, I'm going to stay with it. Where unfortunately, sometimes the people who are born for it and who are called to it, they, they haven't worked towards it. It was given to them by the universe, by God, by spirits, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But it was given to them. And a lot of times, because they haven't earned it anyway, it's not hard for them to give up something that 
somebody gave them. It's almost like a gift, you know? You didn't pay for it, you didn't work for it, so, you know, you don't care if you give it away or throw it in the garbage or whatever. You know, it's it's a, a, a kind of taking things for granted, the sort of an ungrateful attitude, and, and, of course, it's ultimately disrespectful. You know, so that's the real distinction I found on the results. In the end, you're going to find the people that uh, uh, have adopted writing uh, have a longer uh, stay in power with it, and in and, and many in, in instances have become much more successful with it than people who are called for it. Too many of them give up. They're too uh, emotionally um, uh, unstable or even sometimes psychologically unsound, and they haven't figured out ways to navigate those things. Remember, mental illness is a good part of what writing is about. At least 30-40% of writers have to deal with that. And some don't. Some are unable to handle that and, 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 and give up. So it happens, unfortunately. Now, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of examples of writers out there with uh, mental illness that have done fine. Plenty in the past and there will be plenty in the future. There's certainly plenty I know now. But that's not a guarantee uh, that... Because you're natural at it and because you're called to it that you don't have other things you got to tackle and, and that it's just going to be that much easier compared to somebody else that's still working on their craft, so to speak. Just never a good idea to take anything for granted. So you should have, even as somebody who's been called upon writing, you should have some measure of faith. you know. And, and I'm not talking about the faith that everybody in the, in the universe is good and fair or the faith that, you know, uh, whenever you send stuff out, people are going to really look at it carefully and, and, and maybe even publish you. Those are not the things I'm talking about because those are gambles. You gamble on people every time you meet them. You gamble on every time you write something. You gamble on every time you send something out for somebody to check out. It's always a gamble. Hell, it's a gamble even after you got published. If it goes into some publication and 10,000 people are checking it out, you don't even know, but a, a portion of them even care about what you did. Or if, if it even connected with them. That's a gamble too. It's all an enormous risk. And I think that's what makes it, in my opinion, writing so worthwhile and, and so instrumental to, to the world in, in terms of art and literature and maybe even a measure of truth to it is because there is such a risk involved in it. I, to me, it always seems like the only thing that's worthwhile are things that are that have a risk to it. When it, when it seems to be so so guaranteed and so, you know, um, rubber stamped, it, 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 to me it loses any real validity. How do you know? You know, I don't, I don't want to make everything writing uh, to be a competition and I actually, uh, I actually preach against that sort of thing that you think about other writers as your competitors or other pieces of work out there as competition because I, I, I think that's not very artistic when you're going about things. But it is fair to say and it is realistic to say that whenever you're doing something uh, on a creative ba basis, you are at least competing with yourself about things that you've done before or things you still want to do. So there's no doubt about that. You are, you are working sometimes against yourself as much as you're with yourself. But you're also competing against the odds out there of other people. I mean, is, can you connect... Because remember, the first people you're trying to connect to are the editors, not not the actual audience themselves, because they have to believe in what you're doing before they can send it off to other people to check out. And and in a way, I guess you are competing with you know for their attention. 
if there was some formula for that, uh, trust me, I'd give it to you and I'd use it myself. But there isn't any. It's really all about doing your best work and trying to be as honest as you can about yourself or about the world that you see and try to translate that into something that sounds interesting, that sounds different, that sounds clever. Remember, more times than not, you're writing about things that have been written about before. And that's not something negative, and that's not something to get depressed about. Your job is to make it seem fresh still by using a different phrase, by using a different set of words, by using a different angle, by using an interesting title, all of that sort of stuff. Because that's your job as a writer, to bring something old back to being new again. Bring something we've heard about into something uh, that, that gives some people a fresh light onto it. Because more times than that, that's what you're going to be writing about. Uh, it's I talk to writers all the time, and sometimes they really uh, uh, amaze me. I'm like, you're, you're a brilliant writer. Why would you think that you're the only dude out there that had his heart broken by a girl? Or, or, or maybe uh, another guy? That's nuts. That's had to happen a million, million, a million times in the last 10,000 years. Why are you so different? So you got people that still think that way. And it's a bad way to think. You have to recognize more than not that the things you're doing have been talked about before, have been thought about before, have been felt before. How do you still make that connection? Well, talk about it in a different way. Use different phrases for it, different metaphors. That's how you approach something that is old hat and make it something new. It, it's like being a, you know, a, a fashion designer in a way, you know? Um, hi, fashion designer Johnson. Um, why is your dress any different than the other 20,000 dresses I've seen over the last 50 years? Because it is a dress you're doing here. Well, then you're figuring out how you're making that dress different. It's still a dress. Just like the writing. It's still a poem. Still a play. Still an essay. Still a fiction piece. How... Are you making it different? How can you write something new when it's about a subject we're all too familiar with? Well, the best way to do that is to find out who you are individually as a unique individual. Invest that individuality into the older subject and out comes something new. Because, yeah, they know all about heartbreak, but they don't know about you. What can you bring in there? Moments of your past. Parts of your childhood. Maybe something of your, of your faith. Maybe something of your fear. Maybe something unique that happened to you. Those are the things that you bring into that. That's how you create something old into relatively something new. It's what they call the variation on the theme. A lot of us work on the variation on the theme. We don't really have a choice. You only can do so many new things. Even the the five or six popes that want to write about Elon Musk and, and SpaceX and going into space and blah, blah, blah. Imagine how much you, you're going to run out of room on that for everybody. Oh, another SpaceX poem. Oh, God, another poem about Elon's a genius. That gets old quick. Uh, you want to keep doing it, you got to come up with something different then. 
But this is what I'm talking about. And then, of course, as you're making rarity a priority, you might actually be writing about something that is entirely different than anybody else is doing. There are plenty of writers out there. As poets, people tend to be more personal and they tend to be more, uh, as they say, confessional. But no one says you have to. I mean, I've run across magazines that only want prose poems with no breaks. You know, if you ever wrote a prose poem before with no breaks, you find out that it's harder to be personal than you think. You wind up being more, I I feel, uh, academic or maybe even esoteric or maybe just more of a storyteller than a poet in a way. You might be less personal doing that and using that style if you want to like try to do something different in your writing. Adopt that for a little while. See how it works out. But there are plenty of other poets that use different genres inside their poetry that has nothing to do with the confessional. I mean, I know poets that, that use science fiction. I know a few poets that just write about universe and space or just science. I know some stuff that, that they only want to do in horror. And believe me, I did a couple of horror poems before. They're not easy. But I know people that, that do that. That's what they like. Some folks that want to do some fantasy poems, that can be difficult as well. You know, there's a, definitely a, a group out there that like to do, you know, uh, erotic and, and sex type poems. You know, and, and here's here's a, a perfect example of what I'm talking about, okay? Um, I, I don't mean to sound strange here, but I can't really think of any kind of sexual position or sexual act or, or just sexual foreplay that you could come up with that hasn't been done five billion times already. So again, how do you do something like that if you really find this is important for your particular poem and make it fresh? How do you do it so it's not so graphic? How do you do it that it has a, a, a new strange twist to it maybe? How do you do it in a way that sounds still playful and poetic and not just crass or exploitative? That's a really good lesson right there on how to figure out how to do. You got some folks that can be classy about it, and you got other folks that it's like, oh, Lord, come on, huh? I want to spray the room over here after I read this damn thing. You know, so, <laughs> yeah, you, you, that's a good exercise, though, on that, because it's another perfect example of, of something that's just overdone. And remember, more so than the broken heart or the grandmother died or my farm got in bankruptcy or something like that, more so than any of those Sex is just so overdone in society. We just we just kind of went to where it almost becomes boring. I mean, before you even fit, finish your sex poem, there's 10 different streaming services with 8,000 different programs. All of them have the, 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 the sex scene or more than one sex scene. Or, and you find most of the times it's just to draw attention to the show because it's never that instrumental, really. It really isn't. It's just not. If you got rid of that out of the show, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't touch anything. All right, my superhero likes sex. Uh, big deal. Huh? Guess what? Uh, my, my, my cool heroes on this show, they all need to take a poop, too. So I don't really need to see them going in the bathroom and, and using some toilet paper. I think we kind of got it for granted that, you know, they poop and they pee. And so it's the same, the same thing as sex, too. Do we really need to see all this stuff? No, but... That people have more of an interest in the show that has that, I guess, than people sitting in the forest pooping. But in the end, that's really what's going on. And in a way, that on a creative basis is exploitative. It is a, a form of marketing. 
as somebody who's a literary writer, if you're doing that act or you're doing that that particular theme or angle, make it make it classy, make it poetic, make it literary, make it something that that stands the smell test, so to speak. Because if you don't, then you, you you're just becoming a you know an HBO poet, and they're not really that helpful in my opinion. Okay, because like I said, an HBO show can do this, and why they want to read your stuff, they could go see somebody doing that. So try to keep that in in mind, okay? But it is a good uh, a good lesson on what we're talking about over there. It really is. All right. So as we're wrapping this up, uh, remember, writing needs to be a priority. Okay, whether you've been called to do it and have a natural talent and you know your voice or whether you have uh, adopted and adapted to uh, to find your voice and, and to uh, find your uh, your angle on on what you want to write. Uh, you, you need to, uh, of course, uh, put it in some place in your schedule on a regular basis so that you can continue to go at it and improve and get better. Because uh, in the end, you need to write to become a good writer. Uh, notes are incredibly important. They're one of the few things that you could do outside of your appointed times throughout the day. And you'll find them always useful to go back to them. And a lot of times you'll use a lot of those things. They're there to kind of give you those little pieces of seeds that are necessary to, to start something. They are, in, in essence, germinal. <laughs> you know? Um, and, of course, whenever it's possible, try to find a, a ritual that could be useful to make you comfortable and a little bit more confident. Whether it's a trusty pen or your favorite phone or your favorite area to go to, you know, um, whether it's a, a, a cool hat to wear or just a, a special piece of paper you only like to write on. Uh, it could be a room where you go to that you feel the most comfortable at. Some people have a blanket. Well, this becomes their security blanket, but those things are actually helpful as well, too. Being comfortable is really important in writing. And it's funny because... Oftentimes, you might ultimately writing things that make other people uncomfortable, and you know it. But it's funny how you need to be comfortable in order to be able to put down the foundational blocks to make other people uncomfortable. It's just one of those strange uh, paradoxes that we have to deal with as writers. It's no wonder why we have so many uh, uh, mental issues at times, because we really do things so much different than the average person. And that's really what this is about, to understand that. All right, well, next one we're going to go on to, it will be Writing is Passion. That'll be the next episode of number 171. That'll be coming up in a couple of days. Until then, folks, I hope this has been uh, useful to kind of give you a primer on on making writing uh, a priority, all right? So this is Mark Antonioti, Strength to be Human, episode 170 of the writing series Germinal Joust, the first one, Writing as Priority. Until next time, God bless. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by visiting our sponsors at www.strengthtobehuman.com or purchasing an ebook at www.somapublishing.com.